Hi, Jeremy. Hey, Raphael. Do you still listen to the Verge pos- podcast? Kind of. I'm kind of bored of tech. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, the other day I noticed that people's voices are very important. And they, they had this guest, I think he was British. He had a voice that, you know, when like your throat's too dry or something. Like my voice? Yeah, more than that. And it was difficult to listen to. And, uh, yeah. Mm. This is not a diss towards you. No, I think. No, I, think I mean, I've been like thinking about my voice a lot recently. Just, to, you know, my grandfather, when he died, by that time he had almost no voice left. Like, my voice is definitely going to fade to the mm. point where, you know, this is a scarcity model right here. Yeah. But you <laughs> probably. Get as much talking th- in. Isn't there new technology? Yeah, there's like voice synthesis. I could do like the, uh, the Stephen Hawking, Hawking. Stephen yeah. Hawking kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That would fit your persona. Or like La Turbo Avedon, you know, the virtual influencer. But you would have it with autotune. Um, yeah, I would, I would definitely want to have some backtrack and autotune. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, yeah. friends. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to the Zoom. Yeah. But how have you been? You've been, I mean... We're coming hot. We're coming hot off last week's emergency episode. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Distraction. We, we don't, we don't want to get I, back I, into I it. I thought about it the other day. Yeah. It's it's funny because all these digital products, you don't really see them as products. You see them as inevitable momentum. So it's it's, you know, if somebody says, "Oh, those jeans are old. You got to wear these new jeans." You're you're very aware that it's marketing and whatever. I, I like my jeans. I don't need new jeans, whatever. But the, with the digital, it's like, you're not on Clubhouse? What are you, Grandpa? <laughs> and it is a product. Someone's making money off it, and they're all making you feel like you're missing out. And I think we're much more used with the traditional products. Like, what, your car is two years old? Are you old or what? Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. that's fine. It's fine to drive a 10-year-old beat-up car. Nobody will think less of you. But it's like, you're not on Twitter? I know. Mm. Well, you, like, you just dropped, like, two people dropped, like, there's a new Corey Archangel piece or something that I was just talking to a friend about. And I was like, what? How did I miss that? He's like, well, to be fair, it was on Thursday. <laughs> um, but Clubhouse is, like, definitely as an app, you know, and you have to get invited. Like, I did a talk. But, uh, but Clubhouse, yesterday. to me, sounds like the worst aspect of the art world, which is the panel talk. It is, yes. <laughs> Who has ever enjoyed a panel talk in their life? Is, has anyone ever been oh, man, that was so fun. But you know what's that even better a than panel a panel talk? talk? A panel talk where the audience can also talk. Yeah. <laughs> but in a Wittgensteinian sense, what you're saying... But now you really sound old, Raph, because Clubhouse is the future. It makes sense as a product opportunity, I'll say that, right? Like, if you think about it, you have podcasts, and then you have, like... Um, Discord and groups where people are like exchanging text messages, or you have video platforms. Why not just like uh, why not just combine the two and have like audio interactive yeah. communities? It makes sense. Well, there, there, there's been this uh, romantic notion that the surrealists would get together in a cafe and discuss things, and because they were together, they made all these amazing works. Mm. And I'm very skeptical. In my experience, most artists are quite introverted and want to be left alone and mess around in their own. So mm, this sounds like th- a generalization, but yeah, that's a type of, of person for yeah, sure. I mean, I, mean I, I, I don't know. I guess we had a time when we were hanging out a lot and there was the Berlin years. And But overall, the most artists that I know that do well is really just want to be left alone and make their work. It's true. I mean, if you're working on like a coding challenge for three hours, like you can't be interrupted. Like 
You certainly, yeah. I mean, yeah. one of the reasons Clubhouse and stuff, though, and podcasts are popular is because, and you know, there's a lot of people listen to them in the background. So they're not, it's passive. Yeah, media. but even that, I'm, I'm suspicious because the, I, I will put on podcasts in the background when I'm sketching and I notice, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm uh, autistic or something, but. Uh, it would be okay if you were. Like, one yeah. of the things I was no, thinking today is like... <laughs> there, was a, there was a South Park episode where Cartman is afraid of vaccination. He says, oh, you, you might become artistic if you get vaccinated. Yeah. I mean, artistic, I have a brother. Artistic. Bro- yeah. uh, artistic, I see. Yeah. You might be artistic. Yeah. I was just thinking, though, today that um, YouTube is actually CNN for everything. <laughs> but, yeah. Like, immediacy yeah. is something that we crave. Um, so, like, the 24-hour news cycle applies to just, like, everything. And I think Clubhouse well, fills that niche a little It's very similar now that people work at home when you walk to the fridge and you're not hungry. You know mm-hmm. that feeling? Oh, let's look yeah. what's in there. What should I do? Yeah. What, what's in there? Yeah. What can yeah. I do? Yeah. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah, and I think that it quells an anxiety that everyone is having, um, you know, during this I, pandemic I time. Kind of in the beginning of the pandemic, there was everybody was so focused on just what is life like now and figuring it out that there wasn't so much FOMO, and now we're kind of back to like, oh, there's a new thing I'm missing out, and mm-hmm. it, yeah, I felt like for me NFT was the first time I felt FOMO in a long time. Well, I think what you might be feeling is like. There is there are shifts underway and energy for you know you know how Gartner's hype cycle works too right like so there are a few kind of hopeful trajectories that are being spun up and hyped they're gonna probably go down you know kind of fall and and go through the trough of despair and but then like a year or two years from now we're gonna be living in kind of a new future where yeah. we take some of these things for granted and they're just part of how we do things. Yeah, 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 yeah. And and I feel like ever since uh, COVID happened, a lot of people want to predict the future. They want to be like, no, it's it's going to roll out like this. This is the scenario. No, oh no, that's over. That's over. this is how it's going to be. And then everybody <laughs> thinks they know. That's my job. That's my full time job. That's what I get paid. <laughs> You're a futurologist. Yeah. Literally, literally, in my day job, I'm considered in charge. Like not in charge Here's of. Here's how like, it's going to happen. Yeah, like vision is one of my job description. <laughs> but isn't isn't vision Genie. in the corporate world basically means two years ago is the future for corporations? Because no, corporations like, are four years behind or something. Yeah, to a certain extent, but you're supposed to do like five years, so it's supposed to be like impossible to get it done quickly. Yeah, but in, in, uh, my feeling with corporations is that if you would put a teenager at, as the vision person, they would be too far ahead of the times. They're like it, it, the company wouldn't even understand. It's like, what do you mean you don't type words? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, that would be more than five years. So, like, yeah. you have to kind of strike that balance. Like they say. When you're building like a corporate structure, you've got values. Those are supposed to be forever. Then you've got your vision. That's five to 10 years. Your mission, that's two to four. Strategy, 18 months, you know, operational, tactical stuff, um, a quarter or less. But um, yeah, but getting the, the five-year right is considered, you know, nearly impossible. So you're, it, you're, adjust, you're always adjusting it. You're always adjusting the horizon based on what you How are you personally, uh, are you fed up with Zoom life or? Yeah, yeah, Zoom's dead to me. Um, you know what? I read an interesting article. Before we get into the question, we have a good question. We have a good question today. But I, the most interesting thing I read, I think it came out of Stanford, was that, and it's really relevant to me as a video artist and performance artist and the history of performing for the camera. Yeah, all but they you wanted said, was to be on camera. Yeah, but they said the thing that was most exhausting for people in terms of the Zoom fatigue, this is like based on some studies that have been happening, is that 
you make a lot more eye contact yeah. uh, on Zoom. And it's a self-awareness. I think if it's voice only, it's more comfortable. And so, yeah, so it's eye contact with yourself. Um, yeah, that's horrible. Self-awareness, yeah. but also with the people in the meeting, way beyond what you would do in person. Normally, yeah, you'd look yeah, around yeah, the room, yeah. you'd look at your notes. And they said this creates this feeling among everyone, whether they're active or passive in the meeting, that they are actually presenting. Yeah. Um, so yeah, think about it. Like if, if you're writing on a whiteboard with a marker and you're talking a very, you're, you're going through your thoughts and you're writing them down and making diagrams on the whiteboard, I don't think you're thinking, is my T-shirt crooked? Uh, am I sitting up straight? Or th- th- those kind of things. And when the webcam is on and you're seeing yourself, you're like, oh, got to adjust my shirt. It's not... Yeah. You know, yeah. So th- it adds this... Uh, Sort of formative layer. Yeah, yeah it, it's like you, you have this much brain energy and 25% is constantly being drained on uh, making sure you look okay in the webcam. Or maybe I'm vain, but uh, no, no, I, I think mean, a lot of people reasons. feel this. Yeah. I mean, people might not know this, but we always turn video off for the podcast. Maybe that's why, that's the killer aspect of Clubhouse is like no video. Like it's all about yeah. removing. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> removing, <laughs> removing features. That's the new feature. It's the K-I-S-S? K-I-S-S? Kiss the keep it simple stupid. Oh yeah, yeah. Keep it simple stupid, or it's yeah. like kind of um, like if you look at Dispo. Are you a Dispo user yet? By the way, I don't even know what that is. Dispo I'm is like old. A, Dispo is like a camera app. You got to get an invite. <laughs> There's a waiting list. Um, yeah, it's you a cam- see what it's I'm a cam- saying. It's a camera app. You can you can take a picture through a tiny like dispose. It look it's like skeuomorphically a disposable camera. And then there's like a tiny viewfinder inside of on your phone. There's like a tiny viewfinder where you can see just a piece of the image. And then you can take a picture and then you have to wait 24 hours for the photos to develop. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and let me tell you, I took some really ugly pictures of myself. <laughs> <laughs> took some pictures of my, of the, my cat's tail. <laughs> yeah. So we have a question this yes. week. Yes, good one. Shall we have a listen? Let's do it. Hi, Jeremy and Raphael. My name's William Liz. I'm an artist based in a small city in the southwest of the UK, leaving London after having a child with another one expected. I have a commercial art practice that earns me money, but have always had an art practice on the side. I'm halfway through a part-time MA to bring that more to the centre, but I'm increasingly resigned to the fact that certain life choices have led to sacrifices in terms of my art making. So, my question is, do you think it is necessary for sacrifices to be made in your life to be an artist? Thank you. Okay, so that was the question from William Luce from the UK. And uh, I, I, I think it's a question that it goes through my mind. It must go through your mind. But um, mm-hmm. I, the, the first thing that came to mind for me is I think most artists love making work first. And then the social part is harder. There's there's people who, uh, their personality is the other way around. They they they're not sure what to make yet, but they just love the, the community aspect or the socializing or getting drunk or mm. whatever. They become uh, journalists and gallerists. Yeah, right? but <laughs> so the people the people who who are more drawn to the social aspect. But in general, it, it is my feeling a lot of artists love spending time by themselves. Otherwise, why would you choose such a endeavor? Even though it's torturing, yeah, we've talked yeah. about that. Yeah, and so then you, you you have a bunch of introverts who love to make stuff, and then they want the world to know about it. And then is the question, like, you're 18, which art school do you go to? Do you go to a bigger city? It's more expensive. you got to show your face, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then there's this, 
you get a little bit older and you're like, I, I did I did my time. Is it still working? Does it pay off to be here and etc. And mm-hmm. I'm I'm definitely the type where I chose to come to New York for different reasons, but mostly for work because mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, I might as well go all the way. Let's go to New York. But then you're here and. I'm not that social. I don't go to that many things, especially now. And But I do... So I understand the question, especially if you want to settle down and you need more life space and you want to have kids and uh, you want maybe better schools and so you don't want to be in a big city. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, but but maybe my question is, if, <laughs> if William... The question back would be, if he had an infinite amount of cash... Mm. Would he, if he lived in Paris or New York or London, would that even help? I don't know. I don't know if cash is the only factor. I would say an infinite amount of time, because one of the ways I might. Well, think you about get a nanny question, and all that stuff. Yeah. Well, because one way to think about the question is, based on my own experience with with life, is and he and the way he's you know implying in the question is, you make decisions, and as you make those decisions, you realize you're closing other doors potentially. But that only becomes apparent when you realize that you can't reverse a decision or you don't have time to take on another decision, right? So you're like, well, I only have four you know, decisions that I can make in the next 10 years, and I made these other two, and that means I can't do these other things, right? And that becomes apparent. Like when you're in your 20s, it seems like there's unlimited decisions like and doors that can be open. In fact, it, like I always remarked when I met Kristen, my partner, she had two siblings and you know, I was starting to establish myself as an artist and they're a little younger than me, and, but they would talk about themselves like, um, and their future art practice, like it was like a surefire win. Like they were definitely going to be like well-known artists. And I was no like, problema. and yeah. I was like, well, you know, like I'm a few years into this. Let me, it's like, it's actually pretty hard. <laughs> They'd be like, yeah, that's just because you're not very it, good. That's because you're not very good. And I was like, well, you know, like just so you know, I have some friends. <laughs> they're like, you know, they would, and I remember thinking to myself, because, and I'm not saying like I didn't talk to young people, but they, like, I got to spend a lot of time with them and get to know that they were talented, they had an interest, and, you know, and, uh, but the, what I was able to see is like my younger self. Like, I had a pretty, a large ego when I was young, and I thought like anything was possible. Like, there, and of course, anything is possible, right? But then as you learn what is possible and not possible, it, it, it can start to weigh on you that nothing's possible at all um which is terrible um but and it's not even true it's just that it takes time right but do you do you feel like um um do you feel at all that you had to make a clear sacrifice in a life direction well here's the number one thing we've talked about on the podcast before which is when you're in art school like i don't know if you had this but i was given this talk by my teachers like mm, jeremy you know you'll you'll get to travel and see the world but family house Money, forget about it. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's like I was joining the being mafia. From, being from the <laughs> Netherlands, that might feel different because I think mm. it is more it is more realistic that you can get by with little. Like mm-hmm. my dad was an art teacher, but he worked three days a week and then had time to paint uh, on the other days. Mm. And he just had an approach like, I'm not going to emphasize uh, making money, but I'm going to emphasize uh, making work. And you get by and you, you can still live a good life on a on a smaller budget but in the US that feels very different like if you're behind your payments and you can't get health insurance and before you know it you're homeless so mm-hmm. uh, that's a different story but I think so maybe my perspective was yeah it's it's totally possible to have kids and be an artist 
And, that, and yet neither of us has had children, right? But maybe no, for but different that's, reasons. That's, that's a different reason because kids are annoying. <laughs> <laughs> the house so, thing really... So the house, to me, the that house, feels like, like a yeah. sacrifice. Like having a kid means, wow, I, that means I have to do stuff. For me, the house thing was really offensive. And I remember thinking like, no, fuck you. I'm definitely going to have a house. Um, uh, and that is why I have one today. But like, you know, I had to state that that was going to be a priority and then achieving that result. And I think people do that for family. They definitely want to, like my sister, um, I shouldn't talk too personally about my family, but she was also an artist. She went to art school, did her master's. Um, at some point though, she she told me, she's like, you know, family is a lot more important. It's a lot more important that I'm, able to build a family and have a home with a family than for me to, you know, pursue this art career. That said, she still manages to find time to like eke out creative practice. And that doesn't mean that she doesn't, she's not fully fulfilled. And I think that's one thing maybe that is a point worth talking about, which is like art career versus like creative fulfillment and how much the career really matters to the fulfillment because, um, that can yeah. be messy because, you know, like if, if you are getting fulfilled, you know, there's probably, there's probably not any reason that you need a career. Like the, the chances of building a career, yeah. it's just so much effort goes into building a well, career. Well, I, right? I, I think it, uh, for example, if, if you take a side job and the side job becomes very successful, a day mm-hmm. job, and maybe you're into crypto and you made your money and you take away the financial incentive of doing shows. And then you do a show and it doesn't sell. And you're like, why should I even do this? It's just costing me money. And it's no longer... I heard this from filmmakers. Like, it's not good to get investors who don't have to don't have a financial need for the product to succeed. Mm. And so when I can imagine that the same with other creative endeavors, like maybe raising children or redoing homes and flipping houses. or That's the thing artists often do. Uh, that can be very fulfilling and then you're like oh fuck i gotta go in the gallery and hang some work and then some snobs are going to be upset and then uh, why would i go through all that painful shit when i can buy an Mm. old house and fix it up and make someone happy who wants to live there so i I do think think that's a good point about like you know reciprocal value is part of how we decide whether something's worth doing or not it it I think if you came from another planet maybe in other planets there's no art and they would come here and be like what are these people doing? It's like 5% of the population is doing all this useless stuff. doesn't make any sense. I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Well, here's the thing, like in my own life, like my, I'm looking at my sink faucet right now and it's kind of broken and dripping and like the handle comes off of it. And it's a weekend here in Toronto. I should be repairing this faucet. It's been like that for six months. Instead, I'm probably going to spend the weekend trying to figure out some weird NFT thing. I'm trying to mm. turn carpets into NFTs or whatever. And like, that, like my ener- where my energy is applied is really not right uh, by yeah. any like my mom like actually my mom would be pleased with me but you know any normal parents I, I say that like judge like who's the judgment in the back of your head who's the voice in the back of your head would be like Jeremy why aren't you fixing the, the faucet why aren't you yeah. like vacuuming the but the this house? is a funny question because it's a question about sacrificing time and then we both chose not to so we're not the right p- people to answer I this think question. that's right we're the wrong people to answer this question because I'd be like oh yes but I, one, I live in a cardboard one of the box, things but. I wanted to say to, to, <laughs> to all our dear listeners is there are a lot of stereotypes of what an artist should be but if you look at the top 100 of artists probably a lot of them have children and a lot of them yeah. flip houses on the side and a lot of them 
are good at uh, uh, a lot of things you think artists don't do and a lot of them are not that social and so it's kind of mysterious what works but here's a, a, a clear example a lot of young artists are afraid that the art market demands that you do the same thing your whole life oh yeah that's like, the oh, yeah. cliche I do this I make square paintings with the magenta whatever mm, and stuff. and then if you look at the the best selling artist Picasso did all kinds of different stuff Warhol did all kinds of different stuff uh, on and on and on of people that are having very diverse bodies of work mm-hmm. and so there's tons of examples and uh, like Gerhard Richter has kids how much more successful can you be than Gerhard Richter so apparently having children doesn't mean you're not going to succeed as an artist period yeah I mean I, I've known lots of, of Ed Richet has children uh, uh, Picasso had children uh, you know well, let, let, like I, we should get out of the way. Like, obviously, we're the, not only are we the wrong people to, to, to answer this, but like, <laughs> a, we're not successful. B, we don't have children. <laughs> well, also, in like, yeah, and uh, we've had generally lives where we've had enough privilege or space. Like, I didn't have any student debt, as an example, um, and so that made a huge difference to the choices I had when I finished school. But a lot of folks graduate with a ton of debt, and then they're forced into a position where they have to pay it back or, or suffer consequences that are, yeah. un, you know, just unreasonable. Um, but, um, but NFT is going to fix everything. Yeah, well, the, <laughs> for anyone no, that's already made it. Yeah. But <laughs> I, sure. I, I think, uh, there was another question from, from another listener who might show up or different people think that they have a setback that their position, whether it's having children or being from a minority background, or whatever the minority is, I would say the healthiest uh, approach would be to find people who are in an equal situation and that they seem to have carved out a path for themselves and think, how did they, how did it work for them in spite of those setbacks? Mm-hmm. So there must be, we, we, could, we could look at data all day long of people who failed because 99% of people fail. But then you get, okay, uh, let's say that you're a person from a small town who's kind of shy and who's uncomfortable being around people and you have a family. What are your options? Mm-hmm. No, I think you're right. You got to find your community. I mean, I also think there, you know, work ethic is an easy thing to just say, like, hey, you're just not working hard enough. And that, oh, man, it's so the, hard, the work yeah. ethic. Um, but more likely it's just work ethic over time that's more relevant like because most people give up right so it's it's so it's so funny it's it's so funny how hard it is it's, it's sitting down and making work i find it very very different maybe maybe other people it's easy i don't know but i have all the time in the world and I sit down and still come up with excuses to procrastinate out of this weird fear of like sitting down and there won't be something mm. I don't know if you have the same thing. You're like, oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to research this technical platform when actually you already know the technology. No, I have the same feeling. And, and one thing that I've realized I have to do um, is is go through the ritual. And like, and yeah. it's hard to predict when Let's it's Let's research gonna... password managers. Well, this is where a- I any think procrastination. Like, I don't think we should like cite Picasso necessarily as like a great person because he was like a horrible misogynist. But he created like 50,000 um, works... In yeah, his lifetime. He now, knew how many how to of work. those? But how many of those do, are celebrated as masterworks? Like you know, a dozen, potentially more, but certainly not a large percentage of the fifty thousand is are considered the mm. iconic works. Yeah, and so I would try and remind myself that yeah, it's, it's thinking Im- out loud. 
Yeah, exactly. Like I was just talking to another artist yesterday who, and you know, trying things out um, is a big part. Like, like certainty is not what artists present. I think we often have this myth that like it's a puzzle that has to get figured out all at once (laughs) instead of like, the puzzle actually takes a lifetime to solve and it never, never really should be solved because then there's no room for your audience. But Mm. like, there's just lots and lots of exploration over time. And you hit upon some happy accidents um, every once in a while. Yeah. And I I think it's always the best when you, when you've given up, you're like, ah, this, (laughs) I'm, I'm tired of thinking of masterpieces. Let's just make something bad. And then you make the best work. But let's talk about some of the sacrifices. Like, yeah, the, let's talk the, about. Sa- well, I, I, I can clearly, um, when I see the choices I made, mostly were choices where I want to live, because those are the most impactful. And so, growing up in the Netherlands and feeling like I need to see what's out there, and there's not enough opportunity here, so I have to go elsewhere. And you try to, you definitely give up seeing your mm-hmm. family and your older friends who you trust more than newer friends, and you've. You know each other better. That's definitely a sacrifice, but at the same time, it's not a sacrifice because if you, at least for me, you stay in one place for too long and you get bored. And uh, so, it, did that like yeah, for okay, you so leaving leaving your hometown? Did that feel like a sacrifice? I did it for a few years, and it and actually was it was great. I probably shouldn't have come back, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I think the bigger sacrifice, you know, I made was. Well, to to avoid sacrifice, I you know I have a full time job in addition to being an artist, and so some people think that that means that you're sacrificing on your art career. But for me, it was the opposite. It created space for me. In my, I've been way more productive in my employed life than when I was self employed, um, and that it was because I could like turn the artwork time on or off separately from the work time. So it just created compartments for yeah. The there's something. There's something about when you have a lot of duties, then the art time is pure pleasure. And when you have 100% art time, then uh, sometimes it's like, oh, I don't feel like it right now. When mm-hmm. If you only have five minutes, you'll definitely do it. Yeah, I mean, uh, the, I mean I've mean, i never been in that position, to be honest with you, outside of a residency. And when I'm at a residency, I'm like, I can remember being like really frustrated with other full-time artists who weren't working themselves to the bone. <laughs> Cause I'd be like, mm. do you realize how precious this time is? This is incredible. We get to just spend two <laughs> weeks making art. Oh my God. <laughs> like, let's talk about art. Oh my God. It's, it's, it's art. It's art yeah. all the time. It's 24 hours a day. Um, but I, yeah, you, you I think you make a good point, which is like grass is always greener to a certain extent. That said, you know, within my full-time job, context is actually not full-time I work four days a week and then I also I've just I've I've sort of established a, a professional practice where if it's a work day especially with work from home right now but even before I'll still take studio visits from the office you know and um I think that sometimes people assume that it has to be one or the other but I'm much if you look at the statistics most people in their lifetime have multiple jobs and multiple jobs concurrently is now the norm even outside of being an artist so <laughs> you drive um, an uber you make cakes well unfortunately and- yeah to a certain extent but like there's the cliche of the person in their basement working on a train set I don't see how that's any different than that person could be working on like a, a massive steel sculpture so you know, I was just like Wayne Gretzky. I'm here in Canada. It's super cliche, but Wayne Gretzky's dad died. Um, 
he was like 84 years old. He's a, a Canadian hero. Wayne Gretzky, mm-hmm. greatest player of all time, they say, in hockey. But his dad like really um, worked as like a telephone kind of worker, like a technician. And he he became a huge part of his community for like building a rink in his backyard and then coaching his sons and then the other people in the community to play these games. And he just became this like community figure and he would get up at 5am to, you know, this is the the Canadian legend, right? Like to get the rink ready and he would be up, you know, until midnight, you know, closing things down, but his dedication to hockey and to his son and his community far superseded his, career as like a telephone technician but like he he was doing that all within if you think of the number of hours we have in the day it's actually a lot more than we believe or think um there is i've often you know if you ended work at five which is would be early a lot of times you still have probably a good six hours before the end of the day now you might be exhausted but what I found is like, if you go outside on an evening, you'll see still people out there running or riding their bikes or going to the gym. Being an artist, I think is a lot, can be a lot like um, going to the gym or going for a run or watching an hour of television. You, you know, you could get really into WandaVision or you could get really yeah. into, yeah. and I don't want this to come off as a lecture because I have, you know, I have siblings who are also artists. One of my older sisters is a painter and then I've been having a series of conversations with her and they've led to a good place where she has an exhibition coming up. And she was like, Jeremy, I just like, can't get like this going and I don't know what to do. And I was like, well, are you sitting down every week and working on this? And she's like, well, no, because of this or that. I was like, well, it doesn't seem very important to you. Why are you complaining? And she's like, mm, you're right. <laughs> like, and so she did put in the effort and then she did have the studio visit and then she did get the show. Right. Like, um, anyway, she has a family. She has a home. She has a full-time job. She's still able to paint. She loves painting. She just needed to be reminded that she loved painting and that she, I think a lot of us feel guilty yeah. about being creative. The, At least her, she did. Well, there's, there's guilty and there's uh, the fear of judgment. Yeah. It, whether you're judging yourself, whether you're your own critic or you're afraid of external critics. And, mm-hmm. But one one of the things that does come into play is um, for a lot of people art represents people who can be completely free and crazy and radical and bohemian and so for the audience um, they would rather buy a painting of someone with a party lifestyle than a domestic lifestyle. They want to buy into that lifestyle with the painting so uh, this is what I heard from some friends who collect and this is similar to music like the idea of a star is someone who's not normal. Uh, I guess. I mean, here's no, the thing. No, no. You, you can argue, but numerically, I, th- I think uh, people want artists to be eccentric. I, I think you oh, can I argue whether that's right or wrong, but I think in general, like, oh. You're talking about, th- like, cult of personality. Like, there should be some yeah, narrative but, filtering. But I, like, who are your heroes in the, in, in the arts? And, and you'll notice that a lot of them are eccentric. Or is that not true? I just think that everyone's super eccentric. They just choose quite often have to hide it because of like code switching or normativity in wherever, you know, Mm. communities they're at. Like if, you know, I work in a corporate environment and the number of artists that I work with is actually quite high. You know, like Mm. I remember working with an opera singer forever and I work with a guy that does like weird custom taxidermy. Everyone has like their thing, but they've been told 
over and over again, you shouldn't be doing that thing. You should be doing this. Other <laughs> you should thing. be a clubhouse. Well, because you, like you mentioned earlier, the remuneration or the reciprocation is like, oh, I get positive energy when I do this thing called spreadsheets. Oh, I get negative energy when I do this taxidermy thing. And the negative energy energy you mentioned is like, maybe I don't get the show or like I have a failed opportunity. But the chances are you're going to get a bunch of those like negative signals. Like I've always said, no one wants you to be an artist. But I'm thinking more, I don't think we judge filmmakers this way. Nobody thinks like, oh, James Karen has children. I don't want to see that movie. But mm-hmm. when it comes to like a new mixtape and people want to like, oh, this rapper really sold drugs or this DJ parties all night long. And like people can't live that way, but they want to be part of that. And I, I think there's something about. I think it, it's a segment. I, That's no, a segment. I, I, th- I think you're, you're arguing from the point of view the way you want the world to be, mm. but it's not the way people work. And there's something I always think. Uh, Crazy people are very entertaining. That's that's part of it. Like reality TV is not reality. The way people act in reality TV is not realistic. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you could argue there's that terrace house show in Japan where there's no drama, no conflict. But in general, people act ridiculous on reality TV because so people want to look at ridiculous things. It's entertaining. Okay, so to recenter this on the sacrifices thing, you're saying someone you would need to sacrifice your identity. <laughs> no, yeah, no, I'm saying when people question, can I be an artist if I'm just like a normal soccer parent and I take my kids to soccer practice and I, I paint on the Sunday afternoon, or would the audience, especially the buying audience, rather have someone who paints all through the night and is an alcoholic and is uh, dating someone famous. Mm, I think, you know, that, yeah. I, I, you're I, a marketeer. I, like, like, which product would sell if I t- tell you those two? Well, you definitely have to have a narrative. I've, I, we talk about that all the time. There needs to be some reason that you're doing what you're doing. And it needs to make sense to your audience um, and to the work. The work will speak for itself, but you can't, I'm, I'm of the argument it's no, really no, hard but the to work remove will yourself speak from the work. For itself, is, uh, I think it's partly true, but like the reason people, and also for me, like I love the work of Agnes Martin, but it, it started to make more sense <laughs> when you start to... When you know her, read, yeah. You read interviews, and you're like, oh, this person would meditate every day for four days, yeah. uh, for four hours, and that's when the images would appear, and she had to strip down her life and be away from people, so she moves to New Mexico, and yeah. blah blah blah. But it, it, okay, it's yeah, just the, the, add the, layers. And if, if it was like, but at the same time, you could be like, oh, this person worked for AT and T for thirty five years and was working on spreadsheets, and that's why she made grid like paintings. That story could have also worked. So, like inherent in all of these these examples, though, is this is this the story is actually embedded in the sacrifice. Like, and I sac- and I think the story is not just for the audience; it's also for the artist. Because it, mm-hmm. when you think of an artist, and you you need belief. Mm-hmm. I think as an artist, you need to believe that there's a place for you and your work and your energy. That's true. And and so that confidence or that belief comes from also being convinced that you're in the right place and that you're in the, heading in the right direction. And um, yeah, this but is, this is starting to sound a lot like corporate branding circles, though. Like I will just say, you know, well, it's human energy. 
Yeah. But like when you're when you're building a brand for a corporation, you're like, and I just shouldn't say corporation, but like for a company or you're a founder, like there's the, there's this concept of the founder's story. Have you ever heard of, yeah. of that? Yeah, the yeah, found, yeah. Well, and, and like story stocks, that that whole thing. Yeah, but like, well, it, it actually has a like an economic benefit to the company. That's why it's we in, we invest in these things because people want. Because you're asking too much of your employees. You're like, I know this is crazy, but you know we're gonna make it. Well, and what is the proof? And you're saying, well, the proof is I sacrificed by starting in a garage. And like, so the narrative is the proof that I love that scene in the, in the show Silicon Valley. And then Gavin Belson has a airplane <laughs> hangar where he has rebuilt the garage where the company started, supposedly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and it, I mean, the, all these companies like Apple, Dell, all these things. I actually met this woman that like hosted a bunch of those people. I think I talked about on the podcast previously. But, um, and so those stories are true. Were they what was necessary? I don't know. But quite often they're evidence of the sacrifice and evidence that this person's to be trusted because here's, I think it comes down to trust ultimately, right? Like, the, and here's what, like, I, I was told by a gallerist early in my career, which is like, how will I know that you're still, still going to be making art in 10 years? Like, I remember this when I was in my yeah. 20s, the yeah. gallery asking me that. And I was like, what? How do you know? I'm really excited about it. They're like, no, no, no. I really need to know, and I just, I just can't be certain that you're going to, you know, you're going to. Are do you this. in it? Yeah. No. And you know that's why a lot of people don't get representation until their mid career, right? Because it, they haven't evidenced yeah. the sacrifice. There, there's always exceptions, and I think there's tons no, of, of artists with with children. And Magritte was one artist who's kind of hated the stereotype of the artist having to be messy and dirty and alcoholic and whatever. Mm-hmm. So he lived in a very normal suburban neighborhood and sort of dressed like an office worker, and he painted himself and his figures in this very uh, normal bourgeois clothing. And he would paint in the living room and pull out the easel from a closet, paint for a few hours, put it back, and then they would have lunch in the living room. And he just didn't want to be in a messy studio. He hated the idea of being in messy clothing and uh, all that stuff. So he, he he's like, I want to be the opposite of what people think an artist is. Mm-hmm. So that's it, it, it. I think it's embracing your situation then. Yeah, I mean, I think if I took any, you could take any example, and I think you can evidence some some narrative, and the the sacrifice could be small like i guess we're 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 getting to the point where we're saying there has to be some sacrifice because there has to be some time i think i think in the music world it's much more clear that if you look at the history of music videos that's not normal life people don't want normal life in music videos they want to see 15 maseratis on top of each other with champagne and girls in bikinis that's not normal life i mean there's a reason a lot of musicians die of drug overdoses right it's very stressful <laughs> yeah, but but it's this it's this hyper concentrated party lifestyle exaggeration, and I don't think that's what a lot of people want out of art as as uh, viewers. They want to see an exaggeration of life. They don't. But you could embrace and say, well, my life is very normal, and I want to be true to that, and that's what my work embraces. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say like I have an un- unusual tolerance for pain and suffering, and. Um, and I, I, but I don't think that I, I suffered as much as <laughs> I most want people. someone to make a song sampling your voice. Yeah, unusual. Yeah. But I think like you know, so many people suffer so much more than I do, and that's kind of 
I know you're going to, this is like a cliche Jeremy statement, but like, <laughs> it does, it is a, it is a value when you feel like you've actually left it all on the, the floor kind of thing, you know, like there's a, there's a sort of hedonist satisfaction that comes from, um, being like surviving a difficult, you know, drought of ideas for you, for you, for example, or produce a production schedule that's just like, you know, as like when Elon Musk said, I'm in production hell or whatever, when they were building the Model 3. There's something that comes from the survival that is not just for your audience. I think, ugh, this is like so unhealthy for me to describe on the podcast. Actually, I don't know if I can commit to this good point. <laughs> but like, it's because an unhealthy life. I'm, I'm like promoting unhealthy lifestyle, which is not good. Is it's the hustle culture problem yeah. that persists. It's like hustle. Well, then one of my, my problems with the idea of hard work in art is that um, I think hard work in, in any other endeavor, whether it's uh, healthcare or logistics or whatever, I'm sure hard work pays off. I'm not so sure in the arts if hard work is a good idea. I, I really think ideas come a lot out of... And this maybe is an argument of why people stay away from uh, normative life is there's something when you're a teenager up until you're 30 that you have so little responsibility that you can come up with very surprising things because you just have a lot of time and you see the world without any responsibility. I so think you're making if, a good point. It may be if, if art at its core is being irresponsible, then having a lot of responsibilities is antithetical to that. And so it, it would take a really strong personality to if you have a family of four children and they all want your attention and, and you love being with them to say, you know what, I'm going to sit in a room all day and do nothing. Yeah, I mean, I, I, was, I think I yeah. think I think it's very easy to say I'm going to do nothing when you're 25. And if art is, is actually, I think art at its core is is being unproductive. So the, the idea of hustling is yeah. kind of the opposite of that. If we flip it around, it might be like more. It could be viewed as a form of like self care or something like that. Um, like well, my my dad is an art teacher, and so he's and he taught art teachers. So he's been teaching art teachers for forty years, and he said one thing they all have in common is artists need a lot of time for themselves. Mm-hmm. That's why a yeah. lot of people go into the arts because they they need to think, they need to be alone, they need to digest impressions and maybe they're overly sensitive and they want to process uh, impressions and yeah. yeah i mean a lot of my ideas came from my job to be honest with you but um so i thought i always looked at it as research um mm. and i less and less to a certain extent one thing i was going to share though is like i don't think this is exclusive to art this idea that more time doesn't always equal better and i think a lot of that's built. yeah it's, it's not hard work but smart there's a difference between hard work and smart work yeah mm. like like as i i coach um I coach like these young product managers every week. And this week I was, we were doing like a panel thing, which I know we just talked about how we hate panels, but <laughs> at some point I was like, look, you know, you're in a miserable job and it's going to get worse. <laughs> like, like the higher you go up in this job, actually, like the more miserable, the less fun. And it, it, like, I don't know why anyone would choose this job. And so I, the next day I met with like some of the people on the panel, cause we're, we're, we're co-directing this thing. And the, my, 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 my colleague was like, it's so funny. Like they all came up to me. I was like, Jeremy's saying like, we picked the wrong job. It's horrible. And like, it's going to get worse. What is he talking about? It's great. And she was like, I just don't Some think motivational they... speaker you are. Well, she was saying like, 
well, they haven't, she's like, well, they just haven't experienced what it's like to be the leader of a division or a consumer product where at the end of the day, everyone's lives and the customer's lives depend on the decisions you're making. And most of the time you, you fuck it up and then people yell at you that you're a horrible person. And honestly, like that's the fame kind of trajectory. Like, so you, you know, you kind of have to be at least if I take it in a corporate context, I do not recommend becoming an executive. Like it is lit, the amount of money additional that you make uh, up until a certain point, by the way, CEOs make a lot of money, but like the middle management or senior leadership level, it is a lot more stress and a lot more, um, it can be a lot more difficult at times than, uh, and you're not doing the craft anymore. So you you feel less confident and shittier about yourself more of the time. And it's hard to describe that to someone who's aspiring to get to that level. Um, And there are definitely high points. But even in art, I think the same can be true. Like you have a major museum exhibition. um, You have to produce like, say like, let's say the Pinnacles, you get invited to the Venice Biennale, right? People I've talked to that have been invited to the Venice Biennale, they have said it it is a nightmare. You have, you know, six to nine months to self-fundraise, millions of dollars to put together a team on a tight schedule to produce work that is supposed to be evidence of your legacy. Um, and then you're judged by the entire world against other nations. <laughs> and it's just, and you, you, it's an impossible expectation to live up to. And so the, the sacrifice does not equal the reward in that case. Anyway, yeah, but the, I, I digress the, the, the irony of it all is you could say like, Ooh, big deal, Venice Biennial. And then you go there and it's just, most of the stuff is total crap, so you don't have to be intimidated. Are you just talking about the Italian pavilion? <laughs> just, just kidding, no, no shade on No, Italians. no, but uh, like, uh, on the one end, it's like, oh, wow, that's really a great honor. It's very impressive. At the other end, it's it's all kind of bullshit, so you could just do your thing. and like, Yeah, yeah the, I guess so. I mean, you can avoid the biennial for an entire, you know, your entire li- life and career. It's not, it's, yeah, mi- not it's mythical. It's not difficult at all, right? It's in your head that it potentially, if you're on a certain blue chip ladder, that it's it's the be all and end all. Yeah. Um, but you and I are probably not, you know, have given up. I don't know. Maybe in Canada, I have a better chance. I don't know. Maybe I should reconsider that statement. Small fish, a small mm-hmm. pond, mm-hmm. bigger chances. <laughs> for for you, so. that, uh, giving up the day job, I feel like would be more of a social sacrifice than a financial sacrifice. I think you would miss not it. Not anymore. Not anymore. Oh, that's. I true. mean, it's definitely a lot easier to imagine, and I think we'll see a lot more people leaving their jobs um, in a remote world because none of the benefits um, are present outside of a salary. None of the social or creative benefits of working collaboratively in a large. Um, Do you think that's coming back? Office. Yeah, life? the idea that people leaving. Like, no, why no, wouldn't you just be a contractor? Is, is, is office life going to come back? Maybe, but I think, you know, if it doesn't, then why wouldn't you just freelance? Like, you could work for five different companies and make twice as much money. Well, just, the, the problem is most people, when they freelance, make less money because they don't have jobs all the time. Mm, I mean, it depends on your skill not, level. Not Some everyone is as good at selling themselves as you are. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's this, the same argument of, like, why would you want tenure if you could be an adjunct professor? It sounds terrible. Like, no, obviously, that doesn't make any sense. The equation doesn't always... <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you could work for You're five. You're just a successful, privileged white guy, so yeah. Oh, yeah. just money comes waving at me. All well, the that's time. what does make me uncomfortable with this topic in general. But um, 
I have decided we have like we could probably personally decide talk about some of the decisions we've you know Kristen and I decided not to have children we're happy with that decision I've decided like I want to live in a, a city so I'm going to live in a smaller space that's a sacrifice I'm not going to have a studio for that reason I don't I think that one, one is a sacrifice for you I don't, th- that's less cleaning <laughs> yeah I, I think I don't know that to me the the big house is uh, it it just seems like I I think I'm constantly looking at whatever comes on the path it's like oh is this a commitment how much time is it going to cost me mm-hmm. I'm I'm I like the reason I feel weird is I'm I really do feel like I'm at the point in my life it's like a zenith point where I don't the only sacrifice I'm making right now is the time lost time earning Zoom. money yeah basically yeah. like earn like when and you've asked me this before like when is it enough money and I'm racing to like save enough money for this retirement where like I'm going to be full-time artist or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Pre- I call it pre-retirement. Yeah. People who pre- retire early. Yeah. So yeah. I'm trying to hyper optimize for that. But in the meantime, like if I had done it in reverse, I might be in the exact same position. Um, and who knows? It's impossible to know. I, I as your art psychoanalyst, I would say <laughs> you have your day job out of a fear of failure, not out of a fear of poverty. Interesting. Like, I, I think you're afraid that if you become a full-time artist that there's not enough demand for your work. That's probably, that's that's fair. Yeah, and that's why most people are not full-time artists. And I, I, I remember seeing a documentary about Jeff Koons and he's talking about success and he's installing the big flower puppy in uh, Bilbao. It's like the size of a building and a puppy-shaped sculpture. And he said, yeah, most people say they want success but they would run away at the opportunity and i think i think he's right like if bill bow would ask me to make a giant sculpture i'd be like sorry i don't know what to do yeah i mean the only counterpoint i could make is you know based on my own life and experience <laughs> so before you're allowed to define me is that i really do get a thrill out of being in different careers like I, you know, I mentioned I, I teach in, and I founded this like product management school, but I also work in design. I get really bored if I'm cornered into doing things one way. I, here's my one thing. No, but I, my, I think I think hypothetically, if you had, would focus on constantly making your own body of work and you had seven mm-hmm. museum shows per year and you treated one as a startup and one as a sculpture show and one, like, I think that would be a more interesting path for you than you spending time designing accounting software, but maybe I'm wrong. Mm. I don't know. But I've, I think, I've enjoyed I think, that I think, part of my life. Like, it's I, been I, a really interesting part of my life. Okay. Well, but I, I think um, exhibitions is one way of having projects, but part of, for me, what is success as an artist is, is getting asked to participate in, in projects that other people invite you in whether it's publishing a book or organizing a panel talk or organizing mm-hmm. a, a group. And when there's not enough questions from the outside, that that's the hard part. You could say, oh, I could just sit in a room and make my stuff. But, mm. And I think that's what... No interest. What, yeah, but that, that's maybe the question of sacrifice when you're like, I kind of want to have a family and a big garden and uh, I want to spend more time baking. Would you... Would you say that if you had a lot of museum shows and sales lined up? Like, it's kind of chicken or the egg question. Like, do you get rid of the kids so you can be, go full on in the art career? Or do you get... I think your Kuhn's point was a good one, though. The fear of success. Like, yeah. the worst thing that can happen to you is you become successful. And this is true in startups, too. Like, when you're growing really, really quickly, 
it's hell. Like it's yeah, and really, it's not really what you signed up for because you're interested in making small things without a deadline, and all of a sudden it's like this whole production hell. And yeah, mm-hmm. and I, for me, like personally, it might be that I'm just more comfortable because I can remember when I was performing at least once a week, sometimes like two times a week, and doing. I had a much more active career at a certain point. And at times it felt like I wasn't in control, like the career was running me. And there's this concept in business of like working in the business versus on the business. Um, And the concept is interesting to consider in regards to what we're discussing, because a lot of businesses fail because uh, the, the actual owner wants to continue practicing the craft. So they, um, They're more interested in making them managing. Yeah, but they burn out because there's the more success they get, the higher the demand on their craft. And and so then what you're supposed to do is work on the business, which is like you have to fire yourself as like the craftsperson. Um, And but that's not fun. And so most people don't do that because they're like, but that's not why I do this. I enjoy the craft. And so I, and you have to become a, you know, your craft becomes being a CEO or whatever. Yeah. And it's, it's honestly not a, a fun job for a lot of folks. Well, it, it, it's funny. Cause you mentioned, I remember doing my first museum show in, in Japan and I had these projections of my websites and walking around. I'm like, Oh, this could really scale. I could easily replicate this show without a lot of effort. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh, in the same way software can scale easily, NetArt can scale easily. You can project it bigger, You can. It, it's easy to travel, etc. And it makes me think of conceptual art, where you've, you've gotten rid of the object and there are instructions and the work is immaterial. Mm-hmm. And you think of an artist like Lawrence Wiener, you sacrifice the craft of image making, you sacrifice the... The mm-hmm. commercial side of it, there were a lot of sacrifices in, in conceptual art, but it did scale very fast, and it's very easy for a, a museum to collect a Lawrence Wiener piece. He, he can email you the sentence. Yeah. And so when, you, when you're when you making work, uh, you, you sacrifice certain elements to emphasize other elements. So maybe you have different talents, and you're doing ceramics, but you're also doing poetry, and you're like, well, I'm going to sacrifice the ceramics because the, the texts are doing better, or the other way around. So... Maybe what I'm trying to say is that uh, sometimes you have to sacrifice parts of your work to to let other ones go deeper with the other parts. No, I think you're making a really good point. And also, if we go back on, let's say, like Duchamp or Picasso or Lawrence Wiener or any of these people, they also... I met Lawrence Wiener's daughter, so he he does have kids. You can be a conceptual artist with children. Or like, let's take Cindy Sherman. But like, generally, there's a point at which they sacrifice a prior body of work to create a new body. Yeah, I think um, uh, Baldessari did this thing where he, he was kind of a bad painter, and as a performance, he burned all his paintings. He said, that's it, I'm a conceptual artist now. But right. he, made, he, made, he filmed, like, burning all his... He said it's like, it had to be a public statement, and I'm sacrificing that part of my work. Like, where are Duchamp's early, like, paintings? They, he because had to... if you want to make a statement, like, I'm going to focus on everything except painting, then you have to sacrifice painting itself. Yeah, this is a this is an interesting good point. Too bad no one's listening anymore because it took us an hour to get here. But <laughs> the, ultimately, what you're talking about is sometimes the work isn't for pure joy. It's a sacrifice on behalf of something greater than yourself. Yeah, yeah. And that is a hard and interesting pill to swallow because the reasons we start out in this 
are because we probably have a talent that someone else has identified or we've identified in ourselves. Do you play to the audience? Yeah. Do you give them yeah. what they want? It, it, it reminds me of musicians that write their hits when they're 18 and then they have to play those songs for the rest of their lives, even though they've moved on. Mm-hmm. But uh, so, so at a certain point, you have to say, you know what? I don't do this for fame and I don't even do it for myself. I do it to push or discover something greater than myself, right? Like, I know this sounds super cheesy, but like that musician might say like, all right, you know what? I, I've gone as far as I can go with jazz. I, I'm, I'm kind of interested in this because I was like recently helping and, and chatting with like, uh, like a founder that I work with and they retired as a, as the, the CEO of the company. And they were like, you know, well, what am I now? Right. A lot of our identity gets built up in what we create, like in our, in our creation and our legacy and to truly sacrifice probably is to, to start over. Right. Um, and a lot of folks do do that. Uh, it's, it's a very brave thing to do. Hmm. Would you ever do hmm. that? Like, would you, you're about to go the NFT route. Maybe that's the the path. Like, because we you were just before this podcast, you're like, should I still do URLs? Should I, sorry if I'm yeah. I was thinking, is, is, process, is, is the domain name a legacy thing? Are we post domain names? Are we post websites? And yeah. uh, but it it I don't think those decisions are. Uh, you have to try it out. I think. Well, so, yeah. Here, that's a good point. Which, like, so I started my career making mostly. Videos. I went to. I have a video art master's degree. It's absurd, and I was known, and I'm still known for those videos. But at a certain point, like I wasn't feeling um, like that. That was what I wanted to do anymore. You know, like just you know, you kind of. I've done a few, yeah. and then you're like the, the 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 thing for me with with the websites is every so many years I'm like websites are ridiculous. I mean, this is all technology. <laughs> I should do something else, and then I get back to the websites, and then. I see the development of the work, and I'm like, oh, it's still changing. It's not stale, so I want to keep. Well, yeah, you got to give. I think you're not thinking of time on the right horizon or scale. Like, email is still the number one communication platform. (laughs) Well, that's what I'm saying with this clubhouse bullshit. Uh, You're not on clubhouse. Oh my god, you're old. (laughs) No, if you want to reach people, email is still pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's a hype cycle to this stuff, and you know, and and like like Google Wave was supposed to obliterate email but that didn't happen and everyone hates zoom i don't think that's here to stay i mean i'll get yeah the same thing i said last week which is like if you feel panicked it's probably you know not a good thing be to respond greedy to. when people are fearful and be fearful when people are greedy mm, who said that uh what's the the famous investor buffett yeah oh, nice. <laughs> well of course the stock market crashed this week <sighs> my tesla oh, stock poor guys <laughs> My stock's in Apple. Um, um, yeah, so I hope that answers your question. I don't know if you, you kind of asked the wrong people about children, but uh, well, as he, far did as... He, he didn't specifically ask about children. No, though. but I feel like that's the biggest moment the in, a, in, in, in a human life. Because children are this weird door that you go through, and you, then after you go through the door, the door disappears. There's no way I, of going back. I mean, I've watched both my sisters go through it, and... Yeah, and it has taken over their whole lives. And, and and the biggest thing that has been surprised to me, like, you know, rather naively, is like how little sleep um, they get. No, 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 Humans all children need. like this. What? <laughs> how little sleep human beings actually need. Yeah, like they're operating on like four hours or less a night, like three. They It's like, I haven't had an, un, an uninterrupted night of sleep in like, now this Seven is only years. for the first few years, but like. <laughs> 
There's a three or four year period where we had like, that for a while with the puppy and things. Just make, wake up. But that was like two months, two three times. Yeah, yeah. But imagine doing that for like four years. That's a pretty the big thing. The thing I'm most worried about with children is going to other people's birthday parties and soccer practice and all these things where I don't want to be and I don't want to talk to the people. That it's like, oh well, it's a big God. sacrifice. I mean, it's the it's the biggest sacrifice and like the biggest. I guess work of art in some ways. Uh, yeah, but it's super- also selfish in a sense. It's like, oh, let's see what comes out of my balls. This, uh, yeah. yeah, you know, it's an ego thing. Like, oh, I want to create a little other version of me. Like, I, I, I think it's perfectly. It's great if people want to have kids, but I don't think statistically, numerically, the world is better off with more people. So I, I, I don't think objectively, you're doing good. Yeah, by Kristen, Kristen and I argue for that all the time, but I don't want to judge. Folks who have chosen no, no, exactly. But I don't think you should say, "Well, I have children, so I'm a good person." I don't think it's that simple. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's easy for us to say. (laughs) (laughs) Also, like we could do a whole like ten minute thing on gloating as middle aged men without kids. (laughs) Oh yeah, well, new podcast. Middle aged. It's funny when environmental discussions come up, and they're like, "Oh, should you fabricate your stuff with this material or that material?" And it's like, "Well, I don't have children." That's the answer. <laughs> so yeah. the good point is, <laughs> but, don't but have kids. As far as sacrifices, I feel like um, I I don't think I had to sacrifice much. I moved around, and I, that feels like a social sacrifice. But at the same time, I, I go back quite often and see my friends, and have multiplied my circle of friends with different cities around the world. So. I mean, yeah. I, 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 think, I, I think living in New York is kind of a sacrifice as far as noise. This is and why discomfort. we're the bad people to ask, Raphael, because, like, generally speaking, you and I have talked about this many times. We feel like we haven't made almost any sacrifice. Like, we're very happy with the lives that we've designed. And we've often talked about designing your yeah. life. Yeah. And, like, all of the choices have been very explicit. In my case, you know, I actually said no to the job that I have now and then in, in negotiated terms. That made sense for me, you know. And so, at a certain point, you do have to. It's not maybe about sacrifice, but about choice. And um, and if you have choices available, it's different than if you don't. That's like clear. Sometimes people don't have choices. If you do, I don't know if it's sacrifice so much as like it's just being happy and comfortable with the choices you've made. And so, I've just like no kids. I, like I, I just have to be content. Like I've only got one life, sure. Like, but I could spend my whole life regretting that. Or I could just be like, well, it gives me this opportunity. Or if I had kids, I'm sure I'd be like advertising kids right now. Like, yeah, you, <laughs> you could say it the might best. it might have given you a new creative impulse. Yeah, who knows? I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't really care. Once I'm six feet under the ground, like but it I, won't matter. I, I remember there's this generation of net artists like the Jodies and a bunch of them, and and one of them just had a kid, and I remember running into him, and I'm like, what's it like? He's like, oh, it's fantastic, but your career definitely takes a few steps back. Like, uh, you have to give them a lot of attention, and you can't go to openings and all this stuff. And then I spoke to another friend who is also a net artist, also has children, and I mentioned this to them, that he, he had said that. And he's like, but they never went to any openings. They were always <laughs> say, making excuses. They were so antisocial. 
So, yeah. well, the, the other example I'm going to give is like that's one of the things that I, I notice people don't even change that much when they have kids. If they're outgoing, they stay outgoing, and if they're not, they're not. Well, my favorite example years ago used to be this artist Guy Ben Nair. He's like a video and installation. Oh, he artist. shows with Postmasters, or used to. Yeah. He did, yeah, and then I think he he showed with a few people. He he got to like a blue chip status. Um, I don't think he he does anymore, and I think it has something to do with the story, which is like, so he had kids, and he was like. Okay, I'm going to include the kids and the family in my work. That's the only way I'm going to not have to sacrifice. So we're going to make work together as a family, and that's going to become my contemporary practice, which I honestly thought was brilliant. Um, fast forward, he does become like this. That concept is actually ends up having a lot of traction. It's very successful, but at some point, his family was not into it. <laughs> It's like the Osbournes, and the, one of the, I think one of the kids of the Osbournes didn't want to be on the show. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure he ended up in divorce and losing his family and his career. Uh, I'm going to be the family artist. Yeah. I have to fact check that one, but that's what I remember hearing. It's a good story. Let's keep it that way. <laughs> be, care- be careful how you conceptually try and yeah. like you know not sacrifice. Yeah, it's funny if you like. I'm going to be a community-based artist. And then the community's like, fuck you, get out of here. We don't want you. <laughs> anyway, it's a good question. because, And it's one that makes a lot of people feel vulnerable, including ourselves, because it's like, it's really hard to know, right? Like, look back, look forward. I mean, at yeah, the end of the day. It's not, it's not like software where you can do A-B testing. No, no. You've got the clay in front of you. And if you if you fuck it up, you, you can remold it, but you can't go back to what it was before. Yeah, there's no simulator where you, you do the one where it's like, okay, in this <laughs> no simulator, I'm a cocaine addict. And in this simulator, I'm a gardener. And uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, make um, make your own your own way. And <laughs> like this. <laughs> Be yourself. <laughs> Just be yourself. Well, that's what you always say to me. It's good. I mean, I, I love these cliches that are actually like, um, like enduring. Like, definitely yeah. print them on a pillow and put them in your, you know, in your living room or whatever. But like, love yourself, be yourself. That kind of thing. <laughs> uh, it's, it's not getting old anytime yeah. soon. Yeah. Anyway, um, NFTs, the latest thing. Be Clubhouse. bold and compassionate. See you on, see you on Clubhouse. Be bold and p- yeah. compassionate. Um, you know. Follow me on Dispo. We've got, I've got a I've got a role going. Yeah, and uh, and oh, buy Raf's upcoming NFTs. Yeah, I'm, they, I'm not even sure if I'm going to do it, but they're going to be hot. They're yeah. going to be hot. Yeah, you're going to drop. Is it going to be? It's going to be a drop, right? Like, it's is it going to be, be a drop uh, on Clubhouse? <laughs> it's going to be. Oh yeah, you know it's. Oh I'm, man. I'm starting a, a barista uh, Clubhouse channel. Yeah. Mmm, coffee and Clubhouse. That sounds good. Yeah. Okay. All right. Thanks, everyone. Uh, thanks for sending in questions. We still have a yeah. backlog of questions to get through. Yeah, um, but keep them coming. But keep them coming. Keep them We're coming. We're very happy that you're sending in questions. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thanks, thanks you. Bye. Bye-bye.